Well, I think we're live and I think that we're recording and think we're moving forward here. Uh, I'm glad to, to have everybody who can have the opportunity to jump in and join on the program. Uh, I am uh, working on hosting this, this uh, program today uh, on Zoom. And so Jonathan Sadler, who knows how to run and click all the buttons the right way, he's not here. So you have to put up with my uh, with my attempt at running the technology for you. My name is Dan, and I'm glad to have some panelists with us today. We have Justin Dobbs. How are you doing, Justin? Doing well, thank God. Thanks, Dan. And uh, we have Scott. Good to see you, Scott. How Good are you? And by the way, I'm, I'm slightly offended that, that Jonathan would trust you with the technology part instead of me, because as everybody knows. <laughs> yeah. Cutting edge technology right here. It so. takes a big man to use a flip phone nowadays. <laughs> We've tried to drag him into the 21st century since he's been in Atlanta, but we haven't gained much. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you're sitting next to him this afternoon so that you can keep him in order. It's good to see you, Mr. Hall. How are you doing today? Doing fine, thank you. Good. It's good to have you. And uh, Mr. Hall, uh, you mentioned that you had uh, something that you'd like to talk about today. What? Let's move into that, if you'd like. Well, I've been thinking a good little bit about God's family. Uh, we talk a lot about the kingdom and about the body of Christ and about the building, the temple of God made up of living stones and just a number of figures of speech of that nature. But we don't talk as much, I think, about as the family of God. And uh, it's true that the word family is not used real often in the text. Household is probably used more often and obviously refers to the family of God. But every time we read about father and sons or brethren, mm -hmm. the, the implication is family. Mm -hmm. and in the Romans 8th chapter, when the purpose of God is clearly revealed, he said that his purpose was that we should be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren or many brothers. So if Christ is the firstborn among many brothers, that's a family. Christ and, a and many times the word brother, I think, uh, includes sisters as well. It's just, it's just sons or brethren in Christ. And so I've, I've thought about some of the implications of that. Uh, if you talk about a family, you necessarily talk about the father. And uh, though the term father is not used as often in the Old Testament, uh, it's there. And uh, one of the finest descriptions of God as a father is, I think, Psalm 103. But uh, in the New Testament, the, we just find the term father over and over, especially in the teaching of Jesus. He taught, taught us to pray, our father who art in heaven. And uh, there's one God and father of all. Uh, first, uh, and who is through all and in all and in you all. So we have a father in this family. And that father is God. Uh, a family suggests siblings, and uh, there are siblings in this in this family. In the tenth chapter of the book of Mark, uh, Jesus was confronted by his 
physical brothers and even his mother who were seeking to interfere with what he was doing in Capernaum. Their motives may have been different. I don't know what all the motives were, but Jesus was not going to be interfered with. And so when they came to, to try to stop him, he didn't even go out to them. They said, your mother and your brothers are out here seeking for you. But he asked the question, uh, who are my mother and my brothers? He said, whoever does the will of God is my mother, my brother, my sister. So there's a family, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. We may feel a little bit envious of those brothers and sisters that grew up with him in, in Nazareth. But the fact is, according to what he said, if we do the will of God, we're closer to him than those were, because especially if brothers did not, did not even believe in him, according to John, the sixth chapter. And so there are brothers and sisters in, in this family. Brothers and sisters suggest diversity. Any parent who's had more than one child knows they're going to be different. And God's children are different. And we read about different gifts that we have natural gifts. There were special uh, miraculous gifts in New Testament times, but there are, are natural gifts that are, that are different. I think Romans 12 mentioned several that are not necessarily spiritual gifts in the miraculous sense. So we have to learn to get along with each other in spite of the differences that we have because we have one father and we are endeavoring to obey him. And then in addition, a family of brothers and sisters suggests equality. Uh, my brother may be much richer than I am, uh, or I may have a sister who's married to uh, a prominent uh, politician maybe, or athlete or whatever, but in the family, we're all equal. And, and the Bible certainly teaches that. God is no respecter of persons. And so uh, anyone who does the will of God anywhere in the world is our brother and sister, regardless of their color, regardless of their nationality, regardless of their language, regardless of any other difference. If they do the will of God, that brings us together and it means we're equal. It means that we're not, one is not greater than the other. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 23, all you are brethren. So one is not to be elevated against above another. Uh, I believe that elders of the church have a responsibility and a work to do, but that doesn't make them superior to others in the family. Uh, preachers of the gospel, evangelists have a work to do, but that doesn't make them superior. And the fact that maybe some restrictions are placed on women does make them not make them inferior. We're, we're all equal under God, and there, there is no, there's nothing more to, to be accomplished. There's no, there's no elevation for any. In fact, we read a scripture this morning that let the rich be thankful for their made low and the the poor that they're made rich, uh, we're made equal in Christ Jesus because we're brothers and sisters. And in addition, family, or well, the families also have a meal, a common meal that they, and it draws them together. And so we have the Lord's Supper, uh, which is a communion. And the 10th chapter of 1 Corinthians suggests 
that it's a communion with one another as well as a communion with Christ, because Paul said, though he was miles away, that there is one bread. We're, we're all one bread, though we all partake in different places, yet we're united in, in what we're doing. There's an inheritance. Uh, if we suffer with him, we shall also be glorified with him. And uh, the, the very passage that teaches the idea of, of obedience to the Father suggests it's not as slaves, but we are, so we are children. Eighth chapter Romans says, and therefore heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. So what a wonderful family we have. But there's one thing more I'll mention, and that is that we have to participate in that family. The prodigal son went off and left his family and lost all the benefits of being at home and eventually came to himself and returned home. And when people claim to be in the family of God, but do not participate with the family, enjoying conversation with them, worshiping with them, uh, helping one another. But of all of these characteristics, love dominates. It's interesting that really it's not a major part of some of those other figures. Even being in the government, does not necessarily suggest, though we're fellow citizens, a, a great deal of love for one another. And certainly building, building blocks don't love one another. But in a family, I believe it's 23 times in the New Testament, the expression love one another, love brethren, care for brethren, be willing to die for brethren, First John even suggests. Uh, there, there's love that dominates. And, and yes, Scott. And it just brings to mind the words for love in the New Testament. We're told to love our neighbor, love our enemy, but that's agape, which is a rather broad word. It can cover all sorts of things. It can cover close affection, like Jesus and Lazarus, Mary, Mary Martha, or just what you can have for a total stranger or an enemy. But then there's another word for brotherly love. And that's what Peter says when writing to Christians, be tenderly affectionate, you know, brotherly love. Mm -hmm. to each other. Romans and, 12, same thing. Loving his brethren. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for that. Yes. And that, that is an interesting thing. And the, the God, even God is said to have brotherly love in Titus 3. Oh, wow. uh, with the kindness of God. And that's originally brotherly love. Oh, wow. wow. I, I, I didn't realize it until just recently. I, I just realized it just now. <laughs> but, yeah. All right. I, well, that's, those are some things I've been thinking about. I want to throw out a couple of questions for uh, Dan, Justin, Sewell related to that. One, if anybody would like to talk about the idea of adoption in Romans 8 and Galatians. And then also there's this verse in Hebrews where it says, both he that sanctified and they that sanctify are one, of which he is not ashamed to call them brethren. That's Jesus. It's very humbling to even read the verse. Jesus not ashamed to call us brethren. And then it quotes from the Old Testament, I will declare your name unto my brethren in the midst of the congregation I will sing praise. So interested in your thoughts on that or anything else that you guys are thinking of as well on this. Go ahead. 
Dan. That was one of the passages that jumped into my mind, Scott, was two moments here in Hebrews 2 where it talks about Jesus's, um, uh, the nature of him being a brother with us. He's, at first it says he's not um, ashamed of calling us brothers, which speaks to the fact that he, um, he could, he's, he's coming yeah. down to our level. He, you know, reason to. yeah, yeah. And so, so he is definitely on high and he's willing to come down to our level to be brothers with us. And then later on in the chapter, verse 17, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God uh, and make propitiation for the sins of the people. For, for because he himself has suffered when tempted and he's able to help those who are being tempted. And so he wasn't ashamed. It speaks to his, uh, his willingness to come down to our level. And then it speaks about really practical things that he did and went through uh, expressing um, his, his share with us. And that's a big deal for God, uh, for the divine to do on our behalf, and is the model that we need to have uh, for each other. We need to not be ashamed of each other, because, well, none of us actually are God. None of us are stooping down that as low as, as Christ did. Uh, but then also this willingness that he had to, to suffer, to share in, and to take, take part in the difficulties of his brother's lives. That's something that we need to join in with as well justin you asked about um about adoption uh, i think um that comes up in a number of places you know new testament and old um psalm 68 i think verse 5 uh, expresses that god is the father of the fatherless so you have a, a people who uh, are they're outsiders they're uh they are needy helpless uh, they don't have a sense of belonging, and God says, I'm, I'm the one who takes care of you. Uh, you just you see God as the lover of the unlovable. He's the husband of the widows. Uh, he, he, he takes care of people who have no one to take care of. So when we come to Christ, none of us has come to Christ because we've got this all figured out. Um, it's just the next achievement, the next notch in our belt. We come because we are, as Jesus says, poor in spirit. Yes. Um, we're, we're very needy people. Uh, and so we, we were made by God to be God dependent. We all try to live our own life independent of God and then seeing our sin, we need to come back to him. So there's this sense of needing to be um, brought into this family. There's something interesting that happens there then. Uh, just two quick points on that. Uh, the first is um, some, some, there are some people in my family who are adopted, uh, my father-in-law actually was adopted. Um, he has adopted two children of his own. And then uh, two of my uh, brothers-in-law, uh, both of them have adopted uh, adopted children. Um, there, there's something that happens in adoption that we may not think of sometimes. We just think, oh, they're adopted, they're part of the family and everything's wonderful and good. But there's actually this, this struggle that begins for the parents and the children because it's not just that the, the parents choose the child. At some point, the child needs to choose the parents. Oh, yeah. And I don't think we, we see that uh, unless we've been through it ourselves and we've seen the struggle because the child, a, a lot of times there's, there's even just an emotional um, 
trauma that they're going through to realize this is not my parent. Who am I? There's this identity that they struggle with. Um, and so every child is going to have to choose. Um, and we probably go through that as natural born children too. We're like, you know, I don't want to be like my parents, or maybe I do want to be like my parents. We have this identity to go through, but it seems to be more dramatic, more severe with adopted children. I think that relates to kind of what Sewell was saying earlier. There are different illustrations for our relationship to God. And one of them is a spousal relationship. And in Genesis 2, we're told that a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. In the same sense, when we're adopted, God does the adopting, but then we're leaving behind this identity that we had before, and we can't go back to that. Uh, we have this new family relationship, uh, valuing brothers and sisters. I think that's, that's an important aspect of that adoption. But the second idea is this... Um, idea. I think in the first century, adoption was less about maybe taking care of children who needed parents and more about securing an heir. Uh, I, I need someone to carry on my, my family name, my lineage, and Ephesians 1 comes to mind. It's amazing in Romans 8 uh, and Hebrews that were made fellow heirs, but in the book of Ephesians 1, uh, a similar idea, I think, is, is stated. He says in verse uh, five, that God predestined us in love for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. But he goes on to say in verse 11, that in him we've obtained an inheritance. Uh, it's not just that God said, here are these poor children who need taken care of. He didn't just give us family. He made us fellow heirs. Uh, and and to, to think about the glory that Jesus has at the right hand of the father uh, in revelation he says you know the one who overcomes he will sit with me on my throne uh, that there's this not just belonging but a, a glory that is completely undeserved but so graciously given to to us as fellow heirs with christ in that in that connection is the adoption that makes possible a lot of this variety is a diversity in the family, yeah. I sat behind a family not long ago in a worship service, and they were different color. The children were different colors. They uh, had different hairstyles. They were just obviously from different countries and from different races, uh, but they were brothers and sisters yeah. because yeah. It was by adoption. Yes, and uh, carrying on what you said about the the, the having an heir. Romans the eighth really emphasized that Romans eight, uh, beginning with verse fourteen, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. You did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father. Uh, it's it's not a a natural birth; it's an adoption in which we become children. And we're not slaves anymore. Mm -hmm. Sometimes a slave would actually be turned into a son by adoption under the old law. But but we're not slaves anymore. Mm -hmm. We obey because we have to. We obey because we love our Father. And this term Abba brings to mind the words of Jesus in which two different languages were used. The Abba being a, an expression of, of 
a deep love and affection of a child for his father. And, and that's our, and then he continues, the spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. Uh, this unity not only includes being in fair with him, but also suffering with him. And that's one of the beautiful things about that relationship. Yes. Uh, we're talking a lot about the, the positive things. And, and Sue, you mentioned our responsibility. Um, recently, I've been thinking a lot about church discipline. And in Deuteronomy 8, God talks about uh, as a father disciplines his son, so I have disciplined you, talking to the nation of Israel. And then Hebrews 12, similar idea. Um, I've been thinking a lot about the idea that, that all these positives, the, the fellowship that we share, they really do come to bear in those moments where we have to put our relationship on the line and say, I love you so much that I'm willing to do this difficult thing. And we think of church discipline, maybe we think of disfellowship, uh, but disfellowship is really only as valuable uh, as the fellowship had meaning. Uh, I wondered if you have any thoughts about the kind of responsibility we have when it comes to discipline and helping one another not sin as this kind of family relationship. Well, of course, that's obviously the thing. In fact, there was a church where I was working and there was a young man who had had a good background, but he began drinking and he was just drinking and drinking and he was in, he wrecked his car and was about to lose his job, I think. And uh, we talked to him and tried to get him to stop, but had, and finally, I, I just suggested to some of the men who had been alcoholics that they form a friendship with him, start taking him out for dinner, take the family out, do everything they could, and then withdraw from him. And then it would hurt him because he'd come to love those people. And it worked. He came back to the Lord. And as far as I know, the rest of his life was spent without alcohol. Uh, but you're exactly right. There has to be fellowship before disfellowship makes any, it has any bearing at all. Yeah, if all we do is sit on the other end of the pew and say, see you next week, then when you don't want to see him next week, it doesn't bother to you that you're not going to see him next week. There's mm -hmm. a, a bond between people. And one of the problems is sometimes we we think of, we get, we work with a fellow and then we just get so disgusted with him, we just disfellowship him. Well, that's punishment, all right, but it grows out of our lack of love rather than our love. And someone has made the distinction between of punishment and discipline. Mm -hmm. Punishment looks backward to the offense. Discipline looks forward to improvement. Mm -hmm. That's good. Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, he, he uh, chastises, but it's mm -hmm. always to make us better. Mm -hmm. It's never in his anger at the sin we've been guilty of. Mm -hmm. And the there was a, just a couple statements from uh, a couple Psalms that had, had jumped into my mind. In Psalm 45, it's a great Psalm about this beautiful king, and there's the bride that is coming to, to, to marry this king, 
And in Psalm 45, verse uh, 10, hearken, O daughter, and consider and incline thine ear. Forget also thine own people and thy father's house. And so shall the king desire thy beauty. Uh, going back to the discussion about uh, being a spouse to God and coming in, one of the important ways of doing that would be to laying aside the past, laying aside the things that we used to be, and then being something that this that this king would love. And because of that love, the bride is able to do that. The bride is able to, to, to stay that way. If, if the husband, if the king uh, didn't love her and didn't cherish her, and then she's going to want to take off the new clothes that he bought her and go back to living and wearing what she used to be of, of old. And so that's speaking to that concept of love and the connection and the fellowship that helps draw and keep uh, keep the family together. Eventually, at the end of the psalm, verse 16, instead of the, thy fathers shall be thy children, whom thou shalt make princes in all the earth. Because of the love between the husband and the wife, the king and this, this bride, she starts bearing children, and they are the ones who become the princes. And the idea of, of, of coming into this union with the Lord, joining joining uh, this fellowship with Jesus, and uh, not only do I have people that I can look up to as my fathers, but now I can help bring more people to it, or, or if I have a family, I can, you know, bring children up to know the Lord myself, and so it's, it's because of the love that we get attracted into and share, we can continue to grow in that. Yeah, Scott? Yeah, so I want to throw out a question that has to do for discussion so here's the image that we're familiar with on earth, father, you know, sons, brothers, sisters, everything. And then that imagery is you subscribe here. I want us to talk about the relative importance between the two. Uh, all of us are blessed to have brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're blessed to have physical family members who are brothers and sisters in Christ. All of us know people who have brothers and sisters in Christ, but their physically fam physical family is either antagonistic to or apathetic to any relationship with God. Mm -hmm. And how many of you have heard those people talk about that their real family yeah. is actually their spiritual family? Yeah, absolutely. And then I want to ask this. Here's the question. What about, though, for uh, those of us that have that double blessing? Which loyalty has to be primary? For example, you know, I'm so glad I love my family. I, I love my wife. Oh, and she loves the Lord. I love my dad. Oh, and he loves the Lord. And, and this is wonderful. Oh, what has to be primary and which blood is more important? Uh, the blood in our veins or the blood of Christ? So some thoughts on that. I, I just, <clears throat> I remember the first time um, I was in a Bible class and uh, Steve Casebolt, I don't know if that name means anybody, any, any of our listeners, uh, but he was teaching Romans and he was getting this part about family and, and God being our father. Um, and he, he made a, a similar point, which you're making, Scott, about loyalties. And he said, you know, I really hate these Hallmark cards. Because every time I give my wife a card, 
it's got all this stuff in it about you're my everything and you're first in my life and I love you more than I love anyone else. And I give it to her and we both know it's not true. And I just thought, what do you mean it's not true? <laughs> what, he, what he meant was that the security of their love for one another uh, really was more deeply founded than just this affection they had for each other. They both loved the Lord more. Right. And, and because I'll, with my marriage, um, if my wife didn't love Jesus more than she loves me, I don't know where I'd be. Right. Uh, um, so yeah, there, there is, there is a, a blessing. It sounds strange that you'd love somebody that you've never even seen more than you love uh, somebody that you have seen. But I think that's, that's our responsibility and, and our blessing. I, I'd like to just highlight that and amen that. Um, you know, I advise young people, marry somebody that loves the Lord more than you. Amen. Some people might think, well, I don't want them. To. No, you marry somebody, loved. one, the Lord's more important than you are and than I am. You know, and so you're marrying somebody with pretty bad judgment if they think we're better than the Lord. But secondly, once you get married, it's not that every day is smooth and you're just thrilled with each other. You know, uh, I can be annoying and stupid and, and, and different things. And so my wife's 100%, you know, attitude throughout the day is not how lucky she is to have me. <laughs> I'm a frustrating guy. And if she didn't love the Lord enough to work on a relationship and accept apologies and make apologies so where would i be mm -hmm. it's it's really important that the lord come first I've, I've had a few men come tell me they don't love their life or wife anymore and i say well how, how much problem and they just tell about all this i say well is she your enemy and they say she's the worst enemy i've got and i said well the lord said love your enemies go home and love her that's what the Lord is. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one, one other thought about um, what you're asking about the loyalty we have when it comes to a choice sometimes. Um, I, I, have, um, I have physical family members who, as Paul would say, Philippians 3, I, I now tell you with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. And it is devastating um, it is terrible, um, but our, the, the number of brothers and sisters, um, you know, father figures, you might say, mother-type figures, you know, Jesus talks about whoever, whoever has left all of these, I think in Luke, he even includes left-behind wife, um, you'll have more even in this lifetime, yes. and I, I, can, I can honestly say that I have houses uh, all across the country because I have family members who live in those houses and will let me live in those houses. I have, I have lived in other Christians' basements and attics and spare bedrooms for months on end uh, because we're family. Yeah. And when I, when I need prayers, when I need uh, counsel, when I need help, um, I want someone who knows the Father's will, uh, who will help me to uh, do what the Father would want me to do. And I can't call on my physical brothers. I can't call on my, even my physical father, my dad. Uh, but I, I can call on others who know my heavenly father much better and can help me follow him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Justin, you're talking about uh, 
from the perspective of, of, of looking at those hard choices, and, and I know you, and, and I know the, the, the hard choices that you've made and the direction that you've set yourself and your life in and that of your family, and that's, that's so good. But we got a comment from someone on Facebook, and I'm just going to read this, and I'd like, I'd like your thoughts because this is speaking to a different aspect of the challenge of dealing with the loyalties, and this deals with the, the interaction of family life and, and really church life. Uh, they wrote, we often do have issues with this in our local church. Our family provides a scriptural excuse for neglecting the responsibilities to the local church. Uh, and, and so what are, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, the, the idea of, well, I have to do something with my family. Um, and so I need to maybe bail out on a, a church need, or it might be, this is a uh, my relationship and my discipline and my uh, view of my family needs to be different than my view of discipline or relationship with other members of the church. Let's read from Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, and look at this text. And before I read it, uh, I want to just remind us for reassurance that the Bible teaches husbands, love your wives, Ephesians 5. The Bible teaches Titus Chapter 2, older women train the younger women to love their husbands, love their children. A commandment from the Ten Commandments repeated in the New Testament, honor your father and mother. But this is so much higher. So Jesus says in verse 34, think not that I came to send peace on the earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. I came to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that does not take his cross and follow after me, he is not worthy of me so the lord can't be in second place uh mm -hmm. let, let's stop and think dan suppose you were to tell uh heather say heather i i, I just really love you I, I want you to know of all the women i know you're like my second favorite <laughs> that yeah that's not wait, wait. <laughs> that's that's that doesn't make her glad that she she's got to be the number one woman in your life she mm -hmm. she and for us to look at the creator and say to him you know god i, I think you're pretty good or like the rich young ruler you're better than most stuff just not better than my money mm -hmm. that's not a compliment that's an insult in mm -hmm. that we put above and claim that our life is superior to God. And, and so when it comes to loyalty, um, I always read Luke 14 with somebody, right, about counting the cost before I baptized them. Mm -hmm. And I remember one time going over that passage with like, do you understand this? Yes, yes, yes. And we baptized her. And then the next day she let us know that she wouldn't be coming to church because her husband was upset. And, uh, slept on the couch or something the night before so she wouldn't become the church. Mm -hmm. We're completely missing the concept. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Well, in that Luke 14 passage, um, you know, it goes on to use the word hate. Jesus talks about hate. And I'm reminded of uh, what the Lord saw in Jacob back in Genesis, where he saw that uh, he loved Leah less. It says, uh, I think different translations say state it differently. But when, when God saw that Leah was hated, now, if, if I were the, uh, if, if my wife were to say to me, you know, I'd, you're my second favorite man in the whole world. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd feel hated. I really would. And, and so I, I think we'd, we would have to prioritize this. Maybe some practicals on this. Um, uh, some of us are blessed to worship in a local church, to be part of this uh, relationship with nearby Christians uh, where we have family. I know, Scott, you, you worship with, what, uh, two daughters and sons-in-law and um, is, is, there's a, a challenge, I think, a lot of times. What are we going to do on Sunday afternoon? You know, who are we having over Saturday night? Um, and it's good and it's right to spend time with family. Um, there may be opportunities sometimes for us to move away from family and to serve the kingdom in ways that are away from home. And that becomes sort of a, an impetus to, to go and, and enjoy the family of God in a different way. But when we do live nearby, I think it's it's very important for us to make sure that we're prioritizing time with people who are not our physical family. And it just reinforces that spiritual relationship. I made a deliberate decision, although I really appreciate the time I get to spend around my physical family in Christ right now, because I know what some other time we may be in different countries or far away. So I really appreciate it. But I've made a deliberate decision not to to let that be a dominant social thing because our other brothers and sisters in Christ, the, the situation that, that Sue was talking about before, this is a very important relationship that needs doesn't need to be subordinate to this physical relationship. Mm-hmm. They, and then I want to come back and see what else Sue had to say for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we also had another comment that came in, someone who is, is saying that their family uh, is not Christian, I, and two young daughters that are not Christian, and they feel pulled in different directions. But th- they say, I know for sure that my brothers and sisters have been with me. And, and two statements that go along with that, that's going to come from, that support is going to come from people who, like, like you're saying, Scott, you are making a deliberate choice to be with the other spiritual sisters and brothers who need you, this person is the is the person who needs you that that connection because they don't have um, as, as many physical family members in the Lord and so they need each of us to reach out to them and to spend that time with them and uh, they also said but I know for sure that my brothers and sisters have been with me that's a really strong powerful statement that I know for sure and um, Brother Hall mentioned uh, towards the beginning of our discussion in in Psalm 103 being a a great expression of the Lord as a father, that a key verse in that is um, verse 13, like as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities them that fear him, for he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. And so we have uh, this physical Uh, spiritual family here on earth. We have these sisters and brothers who we need to be making sure that we reach out and we feed and nourish and care for them. And we also know that we have a Lord who pities us, who is merciful on us, 
better than anyone here can. Um, I, I'm going to make my mistakes when I'm trying to be loving to you. God will make no mistakes when he is loving to you. And knowing that he, uh, he remembers our frame, he knows how little we are and that we're just piles of dust, he's going to care for us in the, in the way that we absolutely need. I think that uh, Jesus did exactly what we're talking about. I referred to this earlier. The multitude came together again so that they could not so much as eat bread. But when his own people, that'd be his family, including his mother, brothers, heard about this, they went out to lay hold on him. Well, they said he's out of his mind. They were going to stop what he was doing. But a little later in this same chapter, chapter 3 of Mark, his brothers and his mother came, and standing outside, they sent to him, calling him. And a multitude were sitting around him, and they said to him, Look, your mother and your brethren are outside seeking you. But he answered them, saying, Who is my mother and my brothers? And he looked around in a circle at those who sat about him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. Jesus didn't allow even his mother to interfere with what he was doing. I read this to a young lady not long ago. She said, that would have broken my heart. But uh, later, they were with him. And the only way to reach those people is to let them know how much the Lord means to you and that he comes first. And I've never known anybody to win their husband or win their wife by compromise. It just doesn't work. You have to stand firm for your convictions, and that's the way you reach your family. Amen. We got just a few minutes left. So let's see. Yeah, we got about five minutes left. Let's uh, throw out some just practical uh, ideas of things that we can either do to help ourselves, help our brothers and sisters, or as we're raising children helping them to understand this relationship that we should uh, be seeing. So what are some practical observations, either you, whether it's a text that comes to mind or something in your own family that you've implemented? Go ahead, Dan. One that just jumps into mind is the idea that we need to uh, remember that we are not God. Uh, when fathers are given the, the instruction, uh, fathers don't provoke your children to wrath, don't exasperate your children. Um, it, it gives me the, the, the great importance in my mind to apologize to my, my children when I'm making mistakes, to apologize to my wife when, when I'm not speaking the way I ought to. And that helps, um, you know, that I've been put in a position where I'm supposed to make some decisions with my children. I think that's the, this is the job that God gave me. And I don't say that full of pride. I say that, so, but I'm making mistakes. And, and, and there's that effort to, uh, to, to ask for forgiveness and keep pointing my children to God who doesn't make those mistakes. I'm making mistakes, but he's going to do a better job than me. I'm just, I'm just trying uh, so that it's more about, our interaction together um, as a family, as well as the role and the power that God has over all of us. Just recently, a young lady said, my father taught us never apologize. It makes you look weak. 
We are weak. Yeah. <laughs> the apology, you've already noticed that. You know? That's why I was afraid to apologize to my, I don't know, maybe six or seven or eight-year-old son. And I realized he's six or seven or eight. It, I don't have to worry about weakness and powers and the struggle with a little eight-year-old boy. I need to be a good dad. And our children are going to make mistakes. And when they see us model admitting when we're wrong, confessing it and correcting it, they that shows exemplifies them. Oh, that's what you do when you're wrong. Yeah. And they don't like this young lady telling me about this. She wasn't saying that about her father with admiration. It was she said, you'll notice I have pretty much nothing to do with my father. Uh, it, 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 it didn't convince the kids. Oh, wow. Dad never apologizes. He must be perfect. Didn't fool anybody. Sure. On that, that same idea, um, <laughs> we, when we have people over, we, we try to, you know, sweep up and mop and, you know, things like that. And uh, it's one of the reasons we have people over is because it forces us to clean our house. Um, <laughs> uh, but it's, um, there are times we just can't and people come over and they're with us and we've been blessed to have people over. We, there are people, Lindsay's really good at saying, okay, Tuesday night, we're having these single people over. Friday night, we're having this family over. And it's just kind of a regular cyclical thing. But what happens uh, when you have people over like that, um, they begin to think of themselves as family. Um, but what that does is you relax around your family, uh, hopefully. Hopefully you have the kind of family you can relax around. And they see you, they see your flaws. Uh, they see you in your PJs, um, you know, they, they, they see you cleaning up messes. I, I think we need to be more open with brothers and sisters. I need to be more open with brothers and sisters about my flaws and my faults. They see them, uh, but maybe sometimes they're not as aware of them. And family gets comfortable yeah. with, with people who are growing up. Yeah. We, we all realize we're growing. And if we're children, there's this maturity that we've attained uh, in the sense that we're bearing fruit, yes. mature trees in that sense, but we're not yet where we ought to be. And so to have the kind of openness and understanding, this is a group of, of flawed people who are being made holy because they, they were made holy by God, set apart, but we're all in this growth process. So, so practically what that looks like is our, you know, we, need, we need to have people in our homes we also just need to be very open, not trying to put on our, our best front. You know, I'll still try to sweep up if you come over to visit us. But I think even just emotionally, mentally, spiritually, we need to let people see we don't have it all together, uh, but we're trying. And maybe they can help us. Maybe they can, can strengthen us and point out ways that we didn't realize we needed help. Uh, and that, that's part of the, the point. We've got family for a reason. Our, our, our interactions should not be intimidating to them, but inviting. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to make one practice thing that I'm going to ask Sewell to uh, give us any final thought, and then uh, we'll uh, down wind us up here. Um, another thing is in this love for the brethren, we need to not think that the brethren are more important than the father. Uh, so you guys both have a crew of kids at home. You know, and if you say, here's what needs to be done today, and then you step out of the room, and then the 
brothers get together and say, we decide we're not going to do what dad said. That's not how it works. And so one thing that I have constantly encouraged parents to do, do not train your children to be faithful to the church. Amen. Teach your children to be faithful to the Lord. Amen. They are faithful to the Lord, then they are his people. They are his church. But just stop and think, if, the, if in Revelation 3, if the parents of Laodicea were telling little children at Laodicea, you be faithful to this church, you, know, you stick with this church, then they're headed to be, you know, spewed out of the mouth because that was not a faithful church. And a church that is faithful today may not be faithful 10 years from now. Mm-hmm. And so our allegiance is not love one another, but our allegiance is not to one another. It's to the Father and through that was so good. That's right. Yeah. And someone has said that true love between two people is not looking at each other, but two people looking in the same direction. And I think that's important. And in all of these figures of speech that were named a few minutes ago, whether it's kingdom or building or body or whatever, the emphasis is on the authority of the Lord and on the, the priority of serving him and being pleasing to him and everything else takes its place in view of that priority of serving God. And may God help us to see that and to be faithful to that concept. It's been good to be with you. I usually have Thank you, sir. class at this time, so I don't need to be God. on this. I'd known about it, but uh, I usually have, but it's with the church in England, and they don't go on to daylight saving time as we do. So my next study is at 3 o'clock. Thank you so much. Thank you, so. Thank you. All right. Well, I guess that closes us out, fills up our time for today. I really appreciate all the, uh, the comments and the, 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 the chat box and all the messages that you sent in today. That was really helpful, and I hope that the... Uh, this discussion was helpful. Today's program could be helpful for you. I want to remind you that you can find us at BibleQuest.org if you have any other questions or things that you'd like to submit our way. And uh, Lord willing, we will hear from you again soon. God bless. God bless.